Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Scary. Today we're talking a movie from 2022. Available now on Paramount Plus. Smile. Wasn't that the name of the Brian Wilson Beach Boys movie? With uh, Paul Dano as Brian Wilson. And John Cusack as Brian Wilson. Yeah, Was it? Yeah, I think they were playing like two versions of Brian Wilson. It was very confusing. I was trying to do the smile title, like that alternate Shining trailer. Have you seen that? Yeah, where they're like, Shining. Yeah, it's the romantic comedy yeah, version like all, trailer. All, all uh, Peter Gabriel, Salisbury yes. Hill trailer, yeah. <laughs> yes, they're like on a road trip and they're all happy. And at the end, it's like, <laughs> Shining. Yeah. I, I admit this girl on the cover, the first victim, who Laura, on whom Smile originated from a short film called Laura Hasn't Slept, which featured the same actress in the same role, and then she reprised the role for this one. Laura Hasn't Slept is not a great title, but Smile, I don't think, works terribly well. Why? I don't know. It's not scary. Um, Barbarian is equally weird, and yet somehow a more satisfying title, especially for a scary movie. It is. It's more scary sounding. The title treatment of Smile, I guess, makes it pretty creepy. A smiling face being zipped up in a body bag. So there's something kind of ironic about it. And the title sequence was a very interesting and bold choice. Remember the music goes all bam, 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 bam. And then it like flashes on the screen all aggressively. Yeah. The sound design in general and the music choices, I think, were, were really good. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't think about that as much as I did in Barbarian, where it was so spot on. In Smile, it was a little bit more in the background for me. Well, what I hesitated to say was that the sound design was the best thing <laughs> about Smile. Oh, really? It was good. All right, I'm let's get to pay, into it. Paid its compliments. But, you know, as always for a horror movie, it's, you, you have to rely on the movie's effectiveness and immersiveness to get you into a world. And it was a good opening, even though you didn't know what the heck was happening. Obviously, it comes around, but I was like, there's a dead lady, right? And like, why do we mm -hmm. care about this therapist? And aside from the initial shock of the new patient of Laura. Of Laura's suicide. Then nothing happens for like 30 minutes. And you can tell that the therapist is super upset about stuff, but you're like, what's happening? <laughs> she had to go through her evolution. I guess this monster creature likes to toy with his next victim for you a don't week know. or two. For like 30 minutes, you don't even know if there is a creature, what's happening. She says there's a thing, but in the It Follows setup, it's cheap because the monster is right there and oh my god it's horrible and in a jaws way you're filling in the terror more effectively than any crappy cg could possibly do but it's like a cheat in the, in the happening sense where it's like the horror is everywhere the invisible assailant hmm well that's true i guess i did make the the it follows connection because her first experience or hallucination is laura in her dining room corner 
yep. barely <clears throat> visible. That was pretty creepy. And then I think Laura again appears way down in the distance as like a pedestrian in the hospital courtyard. Did I get that right? I think so, yeah. So it's very It follows in that way. But then there was the really creepy phone call after the alarm goes off, which definitely gave me the chills. They did a number of jump scares. What, the phone gave you the chills or the alarm did? The alarm, I think I, I think I jumped at the alarm. It was hella loud. But then when she, what gave me the chills with that was that slow close-up rear shot where she turns into the camera. And just before she does, just before she looks at us, the phone rings again. Ugh. It's like Dr. Dre rhyming bitches with bitches like three times in a row. You can't do the same phone ring jump scare again. But apparently it was effective, given that you are effectively a millennial. I'm an X-ennial. I'm a millennial Gen X cusp. We are a very specific breed that were adults before we had cell phones, but are definitely not millennials. Who think that smile is scary? I was scared. Because it's like, the phone rang. I think that you just had really high expectations going into smile. None. The opposite. But I did see all the references, you know. It wasn't unlike It Follows and The Happening and The Ring even. And, I mean, they were like, how long after each victim sees the things do they die and i was like one week and he's like none of them lasted longer than a week i I thought you were talking about the like turn around or what did he say i'm it's right behind you or i'm right behind you or something it says look behind you rose and it does like the pan thing and you're like and there's nothing behind her yeah there was nothing there it was just the phone ringing and then her snapping back into some kind of Actual reality as opposed to the, the, the monster reality. So the opening scene for It Follows is confusing. And you're like, well, what? But then pretty clearly afterwards, you know why? Because the dude who passes on the thing to her is like sits her down and explains all the rules to her. The guy that passes on, I'm trying not to spoil her, but the, the one who passes on the thing says, this is what you need to do. And it's because it's in his best interest that she survive. No one's really looking out for the therapist. What's her name? Rose. Sosie Bacon. Because that's, she's Kevin Bacon's kid. No kidding. And Kira Sedgwick's kid. Kevin, what? Yeah. Her first major f- film role. The point I'm trying to make is no one is looking out for Rose. And thus, we don't get clearly defined rules of what this thing is, of how we can understand what's happening to her. And for me, despite having seen all these other movies where I believe the rules are clearer, I was pretty confused. I understand Hmm. what I think it is because there's a thing and it can be other people. And I'm like, well, that's convenient. And it smiles. Oh my God, it's here. And then she dies or kills herself or becomes the thing that is now passed on to Rose via trauma or whatever. And the ah, 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 we later find out refers to the Marilyn Manson type monster climbing into her mouth. (laughs) Yeah. So listening to interviews and stuff with Parker Finn, the director and writer and originator and creator of the short film that preceded it, he talked about his love of practical effects and it was why he wanted to get into movie making, which is why I was astounded after the fact why they chose that terrible Scorpion King level CGI of the thing crawling into the mouth. I mean, it was the monster ultimately was pretty dumb looking, way less scary. You're saying that it was that the movie Smile, which you don't think was scary, was at least scarier 
than when the monster was actually revealed. I'm saying that if you're going to go the full CG monster route, it needed to be better than that. It was like a men in black rubber monster. Yeah, where did they put their resources here if it wasn't in the monster CGI? Uh, sound design and... Pretty lean otherwise. Upside down establishing shots. Those are scary. See how they turn the <laughs> smile, the, the frown upside down? I don't know. All that stuff, the canted or twisting camera work, the opening shot of, of who we find out is the mom in the backstory, like all that stuff I think you're just missing as being atmospheric touches. Even that jump cut to the body bag with the bleeding smile coming through the top sheet, like all that stuff's just meant to create atmosphere, and I can appreciate that. You think it was, you're saying it's I missed it, that it bounced off me? Yeah, that it... I'm not sure what meaning you're looking for in it, but I think it was all in service of creating a certain kind of vibe. Um, yes, but it wasn't a dread kind of vibe or the atmosphere that put me in Rose's shoes where I was like, oh, my God, for Barbarian. I think this is a horror movie for young people. It's like you haven't seen a lot of the other movies that we're talking about. And so Smile feels wholly original. Get it? It's about mental health and about trauma, but it's manifested in like a creature feature. It's like, whoa. Not that they would use that term because that's an old person term in and of itself. It's like when I said The Way Back would be like the best drama I'd ever seen if I hadn't seen any other dramas. <laughs> exactly. I saw Smile and forced myself to think about it because I knew that we were going to discuss it. But I guarantee after this, it's going to leave my mind and I'm never going to revisit it. Whereas I'm still thinking about Barbarian. And for better or worse, the themes and the tricks that they employed in movies like Relic stayed with me and carried over to the father. And you can see the traces of so many different movies of this type in Smile. It was, I mean, this is the most successful horror movie of the year, but it seems like it's a retread that I can see through. And that's not to say that I'm better or whatever, because I'm bummed out. Because if the experience is like, oh, it was just like that other movie, there were no surprises, it didn't feel innovative. And that's disappointing for me. If I if this if this had been fresh, if it was my first, my introduction to horror movies, I would have been like, that's deep, bruh. <laughs> A huge success, this film. Worldwide gross of, according to IMDb, over $215 million, considering a $17 million budget. Good I'd gravy. Say, yeah, it's a success. This was, like, way on Brian's radar. And I'm I'm curious to know why this rose above a movie like Barbarian. It sounds like Smile is to you as Barbarian was to Eric. Its charms were completely ineffective in reaching Eric. And was Barbarian wholly original? That's not what I'm suggesting. But I was thoroughly pulled in by these characters and the sort of mystery of what What's happening because nothing happens and I'm pulled along and I'm and the whole time you're like something's gonna happen you're waiting <laughs> and smile like in the subsequent half an hour after Laura's death I wasn't anticipating the jump scare I wasn't feeling the dread she was just sort of sad and wandering around and and freaking out and and expositing to the worst character of a husband slash boyfriend or whatever that I've ever seen that dude Man, I'm sorry for that dude. He was terrible. As an actor or as a fiancé or both? I, I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if he was playing a cardboard cutout, concerned, dismissive boyfriend. Like, what do you want me to say? I, I can't do this right now, Rose, you know? Rose, did you just break another glass? Right? Rose, are you actually leaving right now? <laughs> that, that He served no no function in this movie. 
other than to dismiss her and push her further into isolation or back into the arms of Joel. Right. And to be an, uh, an opportunity for exposition. But I definitely expected her to hook up with that dude, right? Who, Joel? And, and also it follows kind of way. But they were, they had history. Yeah, I guess. But I mean, she was still using him effectively. He was blinded by his love for her because at any point, even after he knew that things were kind of real and that she wasn't just nuts, she could have killed him. She could have killed him or he could have simply looked away or left her in the isolated cabin to do her thing. Like, did he have to watch? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was so pissed. I was like, Joel, leave the isolated cabin in the middle of nowhere. Isn't Didn't she go there to be isolated? She explained to him exactly what was happening. He knew the rules of this monster. Yeah. I was so mad. He's a dumb character, but he's the good one. Do you think that Smiles, part of Smiles' problem or failure is that it was trying to be a real movie? Uh, well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that, but I do think that it really tried to tick all the boxes. It definitely drew a lot of influences. He talked about other movies and stuff, but he mentioned stuff that was weirdly incongruent to the themes of this movie. You would think he was fans of certain kind of movies that were of this type, but he talked about Rosemary's Baby and Kurosawa and stuff, and I was like, where is this coming from, and how do you see this manifesting in Smile? I think hmm. it's an unfortunate circumstance of a person, a filmmaker who knows what he's doing or at least has a firm idea. And maybe it got lost because he's too close to it. It's in his head and it was a little bit too convoluted. And it's not to say that I was not I was like, what's happening the whole time? It just didn't seem very effective or scary when it was explained to me. Mm. And it was very convenient. You get the idea that anyone could be it, whatever it is. Because it wasn't like this was a giant crowd movie. There were a few key players, like the therapist and the mumbling guy in the room. And so at any given time, I was like, oh, that they're the thing. And so I wasn't surprised when the therapist busted out the smile when the real therapist called. I just took that as prudent filmmaking, like good judgment in the sense that he knew what this thing was and that it didn't need crowds and stuff like that. Maybe it did kind of reduce the mystery, like who's it going to be next or how's it going to appear? But the, those rules, I think, weren't really clear. Like it, all, it also didn't really need a person to manifest, right? It had its little tricks and games that it was playing on Rose throughout, on the phone, with mustache, with just visions not even manifest by people. I felt like it could come. It still could come from anywhere, even if there are a limited number of, of characters to actually manifest the, the thing. Yeah, but it follows. We know what it does, or at least we saw what it does. Like, without spoiling, if the barbarian gets a hold of you, you know what that barbarian's going to do. I don't know what this one was going <laughs> to do. This thing, it was like just scaring her a bunch. It was just toying with her. Keeping it, Was it keeping the trauma alive? Was it poking the wound? I think it was, I mean, just conjecture, but I think it was either breaking her down or building itself up for its ultimate body takeover. Yeah, kind of, because it was just a, a thing looking for a suitable, dark, edgy, tantrum-y kind of host to inhabit. You got to <laughs> thoroughly exhaust Laura and stress her out and then climb inside and then yeah. cut the throat so that what's her nut so that Rose could experienced the same which she did and subsequently traumatized the poor dude who had a crush on her and stuff and you're saying it with all of this judgment and disdain but that's i think what exactly what was happening well that or the darker 
interpretation is that it was simply toying with her and having a little bit of fun before it consumed her. I guess so. Which is fine. But Laura said that she saw it in everyone. It was my grandpa. It was random people. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be I mean, because I liked It Follows, if you recall. And I was really excited about the fact that it could come from anywhere. And the the birthday girl was going to be all freaked out, like all smiley, creepy, scary. And she was going to be horrified and beat down her niece in front of her terrible sister. But why for Rose was the thing always Laura? And then the therapist or whatever. But it was it, it was a lot of Laura. It was there was a lot of Laura, especially at the top. The thing was choosing Laura for whatever reason. And maybe that was just for our benefit to understand, well, there's no way that Laura survived that suicide, so it has to be the thing. Maybe that was for our benefit. Yeah. But it did manifest itself in the voice and I guess in its little trick it played on I think it was her nephew, actually, at the birthday party. It surprisingly never took on the douchebag fiancé. I was really expecting that. That would have been good because he was so meek and mild-mannered. You, If he actually had a creepy smile and came at her, I would have like been more excited about that character. Yeah, maybe. It didn't seem like the actor himself maybe had the range to take on that alternate persona so we got jump scares which this movie trades on kind of a lot and her sister comes to the car and i was like something is wrong and like oh holly dangle neck right but holly did the i forgot that one holly did the dangle neck and then rose drove away and that's kind of it like she didn't drive away it was like and she screams and then we cut and so presumably rose drove away but nothing (laughs) like it didn't do anything to her and it was like oh no she's gonna die and the therapist was like like pretty soon rose but not right now (laughs) (laughs) it it was the rules were weird it was like the game like my uh, michael douglas and and david fincher's the game yeah it's like one day your game will start and they're like oh i guess my game has started but i still don't know what's happening the game yeah that's the action adventure version of smile yeah yeah that's the yeah this is the horror version those were two, just you bringing up those two scares like made me get all creeped out and also laugh. I think it shows that they had a lasting effect. The neck thing, the dangly neck, super creepy. The therapist, someone that you should trust, turning on you, mm-mm, that's not cool. And so and so I watched this one by myself. Kelly Ray didn't end up watching it, partly because you suggested it was not Kelly Ray friendly, but also because she has a hard time with things like torture and the horrible things that people deliberately do to other people. Like if it's a monster or whatever, that's one thing. And so the stabbing scene where she repeatedly stabs Carl and it's horrific because the knife is plunging in and out of him, but then he's like giggling and stuff and, and, it's, and it's all a dream. Like it just, it took all the horror out of it where Rose is is absolutely gone too far and here's where, you know, she manifests trauma for someone else or whoever the witness is or whatever. But it it was made a little bit silly in the same way that the creature, when we ultimately see it, is going to pull her mouth in and climb in. And that just looks silly. It looks like a claymation, (laughs) right? It's like the gummy bear creature. Yeah, it was a little strange. And then she becomes oddly static as it's climbing into her mouth wasn't the best effect of the movie. No, that's what I'm saying. If you don't know what I'm what I'm talking about via the Scorpion King reference, it's pretty legendary. Yeah, what happens? They build up the whole thing of the legend of the rock being the Scorpion King, and then they truck out the Scorpion King at the end in full Scorpion mode, and it looks nothing like the rock. It's like a Saturday morning Uh-oh. cartoon version of the rock. What? It's terrible. Oh, no. And this is why the mummy movies disappeared, despite the Renaissance. 
Brendan songs or whatever that were experienced that were shortly going to be right in the thick of that one. The mummy, the mummy movies disappeared for a reason. Are you talking about Brendan Fraser Assange? Yeah. He's going to be in Killers of the Flower Moon, the Scorsese movie. He was in the ill-fated canceled Batgirl movie, and he's about to hit everywhere with the whale. You're all stoked. I'm saying people are all nostalgic for The Mummy, and those movies went away for a reason. Yeah, we've talked a number of times about that bad CG. And it was because of the CG, like the one we had in Smile. Strangely for Smile, I was really sleepy during a lot of it. And I rewound and stuff and did all my dutiful stuff where I needed to make sure that I was watching it critically. But I found it, in a way, kind of interminable. Even at 80% full watcher mode, I still, like, I got everything and I understood it. But, and I anticipated it, unfortunately, which was kind of a bummer. Even though I was, like, kind of drifting and, and had to rewind a couple of times, like, caffeine didn't help. It was weirdly, like, lulling for me. Well, it's a solid two-hour movie, which is a little long, I think, for genre. But I think we should back off a little on our Parker Finn here. This is his third film, first feature, despite some of this, this film's shortcomings, which I think were few. And I think that this film ultimately was actually quite a success, regardless of box office, which was a huge success. There was some really interesting character development that he infused into this film that he didn't have to do. Like, I think that there's a lot of promising filmmaking, not only judgment, but storytelling capacity that we're going to see from Parker Finn. I mean, he didn't have to create the dynamic between Rose and her sister, right? There was conflict just in the simple nature of their relationship, right? Their philosophies on work and family, their disagreement about their mom and how that was handled. A lot of character backstory and development between the sisters. Yeah, sisters are infuriating. Hey, uncool. Anyway, <laughs> I agree that Trevor was kind of a cardboard cutout. Joel had some gravitas, I guess. He was the what's my face character in Bridesmaids, where it's like always handy to have a cop that can look up records and stuff for you. They had a surprising backstory, right? Which we certainly didn't understand until he shows up for the second time at the hospital. I'm just saying, let's go easy on Parker Finn, first time feature film director who has a huge success on his hands and attempted in an otherwise genre-based picture to infuse it with some character development, which is, I think, just an indication of what we're going to see from him in the future. Yeah, character development aside, which I will grant you, uh, we're skipping over the movie's larger themes in, in light of its failings, or my perceived failings on its part. It was about trauma and mental health. I get it, and maybe that's why it was so resonant to some audiences, Parker Finn talked about this idea that we use the smiles to mask our everyday traumas and try to put on the illusion of being a different person. And all that is thematically bears very heavily on the movie, and I appreciate all that enough. I think it really tied into a Gen Z, my traumas are real and deep and nobody else can see them, and why doesn't anybody understand me? Why doesn't anybody believe me or validate me kind of thing? that I found to be prescient and true and also slightly annoying as Gen Zers tend to be. All right. I hear you. It's a generational thing, maybe. So what is your ultimate rating of Smile? As we said, if I had seen Smile and had never seen another movie like it, I would have been blown away and I would have filled in the DNA gaps like uh, Jurassic Park and it would have made for a fully fleshed out, realized, original horror movie for me. But it wasn't. I saw too many pulls 
from other places that made it less effective in my humble opinion. But it didn't make me mad. It just made me kind of sleepy. Smile deserves some accolades and at least a nod to its box office success. I will give it a whatever rating just just <laughs> for me like not what i expected no a whatever rating you mean an all right no i mean a whatever rating really so you're you're being generous by giving it a whatever yeah i just i didn't feel that it was particularly effective and it's like we got it i didn't need to see the visual representation of the monster which if you look wow. at a freeze frame of it is intolerably stupid looking <sighs> I didn't get a great good look at it, but it was Marilyn Manson-like, right? I mean, I know it's not fair to compare Marilyn Manson to, like, a monster, but it did, right? I guess. Um, wow, Wes, I really thought that Smile was going to be your jam. And because you liked It Follows so much and because you liked Barbarian so much, I thought Smile was going to keep Halloween alive here <laughs> or whatever movies. But your whatever is a cold, hard stop or frown on Smile. Man, like I went, I like that she went to the root of her trauma, right? The place they set up where they grew up or whatever. Yeah. And it's like Dr. Sleep and, and Dr. Sleep. Yeah. Mike Flanagan, a, a much more like one of those horror directors where he kind of comes out of nowhere and then you want to seek out what else they're going to do. I'm not sure. I mean, look, if Parker Finn comes at me with another worldwide box office phenomenon, I guess I'll watch it for the purposes of review. I'm just like, <laughs> this one didn't grab me in the way that some of the other ones that we've discussed that we mentioned did. Well, I think it won't be a surprise that I will give Smile a good. And that is our discussion on 2022's box office smash Smile, available on Paramount+. Plus. If you enjoyed this review on Smile, if you've enjoyed our other reviews on It Follows, Barbarian, The Way Back, that we referenced here on today's episode, please... If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Give it a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram. Support us on Patreon by becoming a movie friend. And another way to get involved is to contact us. 818-835-0473 is our hotline. Send us a text or leave us a voicemail or whatever movies at gmail.com is our email. We love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.